0: Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this time. We invite your presence now in this place. We have given you our worship. We, we pray that it has been pleasing in your sight. And now, God, we turn to hear a word from you. Your words are literally the words of life. And so we have come, God, that we might find more life today and that we might find it in you. So I pray that you would speak clearly to us in this moment. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive what it is that you have for us. Help us to learn what you want us to learn. Help us to see what you want us to see. But ultimately, God, help us to be changed in the ways that you want us to be changed. We thank you for the privilege it is to walk with you and to know you, to be called your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning again. Wonderful to be with you again. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining with us. Uh, for those of you who are online, we're in the last sermon of a little four-week mini-ser- mini-series uh, that we have been calling "Vision and Values" because we have been talking about our vision and our values. So that's really creative title for the sermon series. Um, and uh, we're going we're to conclude that today. And I just want to give this little disclaimer before we get into the sermon. And I, I got some material, so we got to hustle. But um, I've had a few folks over the course of this series say some of the things that I have been talking about, uh, something along the lines of, and in a very gracious way, like I haven't really experienced that at ALCF. And so I just want to be really clear that what we've been talking about over the last three weeks and what we'll finish with today has not been a, this is what we are really nailing at ALCF right now. In some ways we are, in some ways we're doing great, but, but we're always limping along in others. This has, been, this has been, this is what we're aiming at at ALCF. And so I just want you, if, if you have heard some things and been like, that hasn't been my experience, in some ways that is the point. And I hope that you find encouragement from that and not discouragement from that. Because what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is what we want to aim at as a church, not what we are just nailing in the moment as we sit here today. Now, the stress point for me and for our staff and elders and hopefully for you is that's not just going to happen on its own. And so it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to make community and discipleship and mission happen. And so we all got to join together as we move forward to make that happen. But I just want to make sure that we were clear about kind of how we're framing this uh, in these few weeks. Okay, Uh, today's teaching text is from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, It's 14 verses and I'm going to read the whole thing. Isaiah 58. I thought about trying to cut some parts out, but there weren't any parts that were worth cutting out. It's just all good. I'll give you two seconds to get there. Isaiah 58. Uh, This is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah in the first verse. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose A day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? The pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes there are passages where it's like, I probably could just sit down right now and and we would be good, but I'm not going to do that. Sorry. In 2005, uh, 60 Minutes correspondent Steve Croft sat down for an interview with a young Tom Brady. Tom's got a big game later tonight. He was 27 at the time. He was coming off of back-to-back Super Bowl championships, which actually had been his second and third. So he was a three-time Super Bowl champion. He was just about hitting the peak of his trajectory from a no-name, second-string, tackling dummy, backup quarterback to a global sports icon. He was 27, and he had everything. Good looks, arguably. Fame, fortune, and everything that comes with it. But he said something in that interview that I think is one of the most poignant and insightful statements you will ever hear from someone who has r- achieved the kind of life success that a guy like Tom Brady has. I thought about showing the video. You can find it on YouTube, but I didn't, want, I didn't want to distract. I wanted this to be about God and his word and not about Tom Brady's interview. So I'm gonna read what he said. This is what Tom Brady says in that interview, 27 years old, 2005, three-time Super Bowl champion. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Oh, and Tom Brady is famously pretty polished publicly and keeps his private life pretty private. This was an amazing moment of letting his guard down. Brady says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, me. I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? The interviewer, Steve Croft, says, what's the answer? And Brady just goes, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Maybe my favorite part of that whole statement is when he uses God's name in the middle of the statement and says, God, there has got to be something more than this. And for all of us here who are like listening to that and he's saying, I wish I knew, I wish I knew, we're like, we know. We know what it is. You already spoke to him. We know what it is that you are missing. But before we go to the spiritual analysis, of what Tom Brady said in that interview. I just wanna go with a practical analysis. This is Sunday morning, I'm preaching, we're talking about the Bible, we are gonna go spiritual eventually. But I just wanna start off with the practical implications of what he talks about in that short, uh, short little piece that I just relayed to us. So here's the deal. Uh, there is a phrase, it's a real phrase, you can look it up, it, people really use it. It's a phrase that I am intimately familiar with. It's a real thing, it sounds kinda of funny, but it is this. The phrase is navel-gazing, navel-gazing. It's a real thing. And it describes the physical posture of a life that is consumed with itself. What is your navel? It is your belly button. And what happens when you gaze at your belly button? You just look at yourself. So again, it's not not actually describing like, it's not a yoga pose, right? It's not like, we're gonna go from downward dog into navel gaze. It 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 is describing a lifestyle. It it is describing someone who is consumed with themselves. And you may not be able to tell this from where you are sitting, but I have like overdeveloped upper back and neck muscles because of how much time I have spent gazing at my own navel. If I can provide just my own little armchair analysis of what Tom Brady revealed in that, that interview 16 years ago, it is this. And this is not a criticism of him because he's in good company. He was living a life of navel gazing. He was living a life that was consumed with himself. It was about his goals, his dreams, his aspirations. And what happened was when he was 27 years old, which I was like physically an adult at 27, but not emotionally an adult at 27, he had achieved all of it. And what he said so poignantly was, I have done everything I wanted to do, and it has not fulfilled me. I have achieved, I have accomplished, I have gotten everything I want out of life and I still feel like there is something more. We don't need Jesus to give us the answer. We just need Tom Brady and millions of others like him who have spent their lives doing what you two has made so famous or, or, or have spent their lives looking, excuse me, spent their lives looking for fulfillment within themselves and have found what you too made so famous they still haven't found what they're looking for. So now we're going to go spiritual. Because the truth of God's word, what we learn, what it teaches us, is that we were not designed, we were not made to spend our lives looking at our belly buttons. We were not designed to find fulfillment, purpose, and meaning inside of ourselves. It's, it's not going to happen. No matter how hard we try, how much success we achieve, We cannot find what we are looking for by looking into ourselves. We are designed for something greater. We are designed to live for something more. We are designed to live for something above and beyond and outside of ourselves. And I believe I am standing on really solid ground this morning when I say there is something inside of every single one of us that wants to live for something bigger than ourselves. It is why this place we live in is so compelling. Because, although a lot of people come to the Bay to make their fortune, a lot of the best and brightest in the world flock here. Why? Because of the promise of, of making a change. Of, of, of the promise of changing the world. And, you might make a fortune in the process. But come here, come work for these companies that work here, and you can be involved in changing the world. We can argue whether that's for the better or for the worse at another time. But if the companies that this church is surrounded by are pitching people, saying, come here, and you can change the world, how much more so should we be selling that pitch? That's a crass way to talk about church. How much more should we be pitching that in this church? Come be a part of something that can change the world. See, the church, just like people, struggles with the same thing, probably because a church is made up of a bunch of individuals, It is very easy for churches to struggle with navel-gazing. It is very easy for a church to become very self-consumed, to be very inwardly focused, to, to drive everything and run everything around, how are we finding what we need inside of this church? But that is not what God has called the church to be. God has called the church not to face in, but to face out. God has a mission to the world and he has called the, the church, his people, to join him in that mission. And so we are finishing up this series today, as I mentioned earlier, uh, on our vision and values. And today the, the value that we want to lean into as best we can is the value of sacrificial mission. Sacrificial mission. So three weeks ago, we started this series off and we talked about what is the vision of ALCF and we tried to cast a vision that is a vision for any season, any circumstance, big church, small church, big budget, small budget, big building, small building, whatever the circumstances, COVID, no COVID. We said that ALCF exists to know Jesus and to make him known. And over these last couple of weeks and finishing today, we are talking about the three values that we want to lean into as, as ruthlessly as we can, which we think will serve to help us achieve that mission. My folks are in town uh, this week, and I was, I was scarfing down my breakfast this morning, trying to get out of the house to come up here and prepare, and my dad was up early, and he goes, so today is the third leg of the stool, huh? And I was like, yes, it is. We have been talking about three values that we think are like three legs of a stool that will hold up that vision of to know Jesus and to make him known. First week was uh, authentic community. Last week was intentional discipleship. And today we want to lean into sacrificial mission. We're going to root that message. We're going to root this value in Isaiah 58, which is probably not a traditional passage that you go to to think about the mission of the church. But I am not a traditional guy. Actually I kind of am. I'm a pretty pretty normal normal dude, but we don't want to be a typical church. And so we're gonna lean into Isaiah 58 to help paint a picture of what a church, what the mission of the church, what sacrificial mission actually looks like inside of the church. Just so we get a big picture of where we're at before we dive into the text. Isaiah is a prophet in the old testament. He's one of the major prophets. That doesn't mean he's more important. That just means God gave him more to say. So he's a longer book. There are major prophets and minor prophets. Isaiah is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. It's a phenomenal book. And Lord willing, one day we will study it together. The big idea of Isaiah is this. God's people, the Israelites, have rebelled. They are sinning like crazy. They have not upheld their side of the covenant that he made with them at Mount Sinai. And judgment is coming. But there is hope in the midst of judgment. I just want to draw out two things, just two points that I want to draw out of this passage today. And the first is this. It's a little bit longer, so if you're taking notes, we'll keep the slide up hopefully for another minute. It is possible to look like a church, but not actually be a church. It is possible to look like a church, but not actually be a church. So let's unpack that a little bit. Let's go back to the text. Isaiah 58, verse 1. God tells Isaiah, cry aloud, do not hold it back. When he says in that second line, lift up your voice like a trumpet, that is not like play a nice melody for my people. That is the idea of the watchman who stands on the wall and blows a trumpet when danger is imminent outside the city walls. He is saying, warn my people. And then look at verses 2 and 3 with me again. This is what God says to his people, the Israelites. He says, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. And then get this. As if, you know you're in trouble when God goes middle school girl sarcastic on you. As if, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. And then this is what they say. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, this is the answer. In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. What is God saying to his children? You're faking it. You're going through the motions. It looks good on the outside. You're doing the things that look like a real fast. But in the day of your fast, you're doing what? You're seeking your own pleasure. What's he saying? You're navel gazing. You're just looking at yourself. You're just looking inward. You're you're looking good on the outside, but your heart is not in the right place because it is all about you. Listen to what scholar uh, Gary Smith says about these verses. I love his name, by the way, Gary Smith. He's talking about verse two, but it applies to what I just read. He says, what this verse is revealing is that people can look, act, talk, and delight in the things of God, yet still not be the people of God. A good, moral, cultural Israelite knows how to act, talk, and behave in religious circles. But knowing the cultural expectations of an Israelite is not the same as knowing God. And I would say, we can be a good, moral, cultural citizen of America in 2021. And we can know the cultural expectations of a non-denominational evangelical church in America in 2021 but not know God. It is possible to look like a church, but not really be a church. And we know this because we know this in other areas of our lives. Just because I put on pads and cleats and a helmet and go run around in a field, that doesn't make me a football player. Just because I put on a Patagonia vest and Allbirds and carry a MacBook Pro, that doesn't make me a software engineer. Just because you blow a three-to-one lead in the 2016 NBA Finals, that doesn't make your dynasty tarnished. Maybe. Ouch. If you can't say amen, say ouch. Uh, You see what I did there. Listen, just because someone stands up in front of a group of people and holds a Bible and speaks does not make them a man or woman of God. And just because someone comes and sits in the pew on a Sunday morning, that does not make them a Christian. And the same is true for a church. Just because we show up here every Sunday and we sing songs and we pray and we give our money and we listen to a message and we do it in the name of Jesus, that does not make us a church. Because listen, there are churches and houses of worship all over this area, all over this country, and all over the world who are doing all of those things right now. They are singing, praying, giving money, listening to a message in the name of Jesus. And on the last day, Jesus himself will say, depart from me. I never knew you. So here's what I think the danger is. Here's what I think the danger is for our our situation, Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. I am not afraid that we are going to devolve in wanton idol worship. I am not afraid that a few years from now, we're going to be you know, fire breathing and worshiping snakes and preaching from eat, pray, love, or eat, love, pray, or whatever, whatever it is. Here's, here's what I am worried about. The Isaiah 58 problem. That we just go through the motions. That we just look from the outside like we're doing what a church is supposed to do. But at the end of the day, it's just a bunch of navel-gazing. It's just a bunch of doing for ourselves, kind of, kind of you know, stroking ourselves, doing it for us, kind of circling the wagons and going through the motions without our hearts being a part of it. Because listen, we can do everything that a church is supposed to do. We can have great ministries, great programs, great preaching, worship, great prayer meetings. We can have authentic community and intentional discipleship. But if it only stays in-house... That is not what God has called his church to be. Because, and here's the second thing I want us to see in this passage. The real church faces out. The real church faces out. That is my best attempt to summarize verses six through 14 of Isaiah 58. There is way more in it. It's an amazing chapter. And uh, if you leave today and you're like, he didn't talk, to, talk about everything in this chapter. That's true, I didn't because we didn't have time. I wish I could have. The real church Faces out. So here's God. He's speaking through Isaiah to his people. And he's like, I'm tired of you faking it. I'm tired of you going through the motions. I'm tired of you putting on a good show, but not actually having your heart where it is supposed to be. I'm tired of you doing everything for yourselves. And this is what he says. Start with me in verse 6. Is this not the fast that I choose? Other translations say, surely this is the fast that I choose. To loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Skip down with me to the second half of verse 9. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out, for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. What is God saying to his people? He is saying, my people are living for something bigger than themselves. My people have a mission that is greater than their own satisfaction and fulfillment. How do you know you are a real church? There are a lot of reasons, a lot of factors. This is not the only one, but the one that comes out of Isaiah 58 is this, is that you are doing things outside of these four walls. You know you are a real church when you are joining with me in doing the things that I want to see done in my world. When you are setting free the oppressed, when you are breaking the yoke of slavery, when you are clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and giving housing to the homeless, then you will know that you are the kind of church that I have called you to be. I titled this message, Is This Not the Church That I Choose?, Because that is what God wants his church to be and to do. He has a mission to this world. And his call is for us to join him in it. We were made for more than staring at our belly buttons. Now, just really quickly, I want to draw out one more thing. And we could spend a whole lot of time talking about this. But I want to make sure it's clear. How does God call his people to do that? Sacrificially. I just read it in verse 10. If you what? If you pour yourself out, what is that, what is that language? That is not uh, when everything else is taken care of and you have a little bit of free time, if you could do some things for me, that would be great. It is not uh, once all of your financial needs and wants are taken care of, if there's a little bit left over, then you can give it to me. It is not when it fits neatly and nicely into your schedule to step outside of yourself and do something that gives you actually no return, do it. He is saying, pour yourself out. Do it sacrificially. It's going to cost you. It's not going to feel easy. It's not going to come naturally, but the call is to live in sacrificial mission. I'm sorry, I apologize, because there's a lot of football references today, not on purpose, I didn't even play football, just sometimes that's the way it goes, so we just gotta go with it. In the game of football, there are two main things that happen. They vacillate back and forth the whole game. There's the huddle and there's the play. The huddle and the play. The huddle and the play. What happens in the huddle? Each team goes to their side of the ball, each to their side of the line of scrimmage, and what do they do? They turn in. They circle up. They get their shoulders right next to each other. They block the outside world out. They put their arms around each other. And they make a plan for what they are going to do when they break the huddle. And then what happens? They clap or they grunt or they do some other you know, manly symbol that they know that now the time is done. And they turn around. And they straighten up. And they throw their shoulders back. And they face the outside world. And they march up to the line of scrimmage with confidence because they have a plan and they know what they are going to do and all they have to do is execute. Listen to me. The huddle is not the game. Nobody buys tickets to a football game to watch the huddle. They buy tickets to come watch the game. And I think we get confused in church as to what is the huddle and what is the game. Listen, what we are doing here is beautiful and important and life-giving and ordained and commanded by God. But this is the huddle. This is when we put our arms around each other, when we encourage each other, when we speak life to each other. This is when we make a plan for what we are going to do when we exit these four walls, because this is the huddle and that out there is the game. We do not exist just to make a neat, comfortable, safe little community inside of these four walls. We exist to break the yoke of slavery, to fight against oppression. We exist to clothe the naked and feed the hungry and house those who don't have homes. And we have to face out to do that. May we be a church that leans into God's mission like that. May we be a church that faces out I want our community to know that we are here. I want our community to feel our presence. I want Mountain View or whatever place we end up for a new place to gather. I want them to know that there is a church called Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in their midst. And not because we are so loud about what we believe and how sinful they are. I want them to know we are there because of how intentional we are, how sacrificial we are in loving and caring for and serving the community that is outside of these four walls. We are doing that now. We have a justice and compassion ministry here at Abundant Life. I want to see that flourish, and I want to see it grow. I want to see our ministry to the homeless flourish. I want to see our ministry in prisons and convalescent homes flourish. I want to see our ministry to underprivileged and underserved youth grow and flourish. I, listen, and I, I know I need to do a, a better job in leading in this area. In some ways, it is the, uh, the immaturity of my, my experience as a pastor. But our church has an unbelievable picture to paint to this world for what unity in diversity looks like, centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want us to be agents for change in justice and reconciliation in our community and in our world. We have had historically relationships with places in Mexico and Africa. I wanna see those flourish and grow. I want people here to go to those places and see what God is doing there. I want places all over this world to know that there is a church in the Bay Area called Abundant Life Christian Fellowship again because we are living in a sacrificially missional way to the world that God has let us live in. Uh, My mentor in seminary had a a plaque on his wall. Uh, It was just writing. It wasn't a picture, and this is what it said. It said, best church in the city or best church for the city. I want to be a good church for our city. The only way we can do that is if we are doing the two things we've already talked about. The only way we are ever going to get to the place where we are sacrificially on mission to the world that is outside these four walls is if we have authentic relationships and we are doing intentional discipleship because we need each other to hold each other accountable, to encourage each other, to spur each other on to do what does not come naturally. What comes naturally is just to circle the wagons and live for ourselves. But what God has called us to is to face out and sacrifice ourselves for the world that is around us. Why are you here? It's rhetorical, don't don't say it out loud. It's also, not. I'm not asking why are you here in church this morning. For those of you who, who are local here, I know not everyone is. Why are you here? Why are you in the Bay Area? If you're watching online, why are you in the Bay Area? If you're somewhere else, why do you live there? This, there's going to be a surface answer, right? Uh, I came here for my job. That's the answer for a lot of people here in the Bay Area. Uh, I'm here for school. I'm here because I need to care for a family member, a parent or a sibling or a child who's sick. For a lot of us, it's just, I mean, not me, but for a lot of people, why are you here? Because it's where I, where I live. It's where I grew up. It's, I've always been here. But those are the surface reasons that you're in this place right now. I believe there is a bigger reason that you are where you are right now. And that is because, listen to me, God has a call on your life. He has a purpose for you. He has a mission for you right where you are at. Even if you are longing to get out, even if you are miserable and you are sure that God has made a mistake, he has a calling on you right where you are at. And it is not to stare at your belly button until he moves you on. It is to join with him in his mission to the world. Your workplace is a mission field. Your neighborhood is a mission field. Your gym, your club, whatever it is, it is a mission field. Your house is a mission field. And we are all called to be missionaries. Joining with God in clothing those who are naked, feeding those who are hungry, and freeing those who are oppressed. I want ALCF to be a place that casts a vision big enough that all these folks who move to the Bay Area looking to change the world and make a fortune can catch a vision in here that it is bigger than that. It is more than the next promotion. It is more than just finishing school and getting the degree. It is is more than the next round of funding. It is more than the $2 million house and a few Teslas in the garage. Nothing wrong with that. Wouldn't mind it myself. Not, Not holding my breath. It's bigger than that. We are here to live for something bigger than ourselves, for something outside of ourselves, and we can only do that if we join in mission together. May ALCF be a place that faces out. So as we wrap this up, and the worship team is welcome to start moving up to the stage uh, at this point, uh, can we just recognize this? Why is Isaiah 58 so compelling? Why is it so pregnant with power? Because it is not only what God is calling his church to do and to be, But it is what God has done for each and every one of us. We are all the oppressed. We are oppressed by sin. We are all, before God finds us, naked, hungry, and homeless. And yet God saw us in that state. And listen to me. The the, the Holy Trinity is a holy huddle. They don't need anything outside. That's bad theology. He One God, three persons. He does not need anything outside of himself. And yet, God the Son, Jesus Christ, faced out. He straightened up his shoulders. He turned out and he went on a sacrificial mission to his own creation. He came and he did exactly what God is calling us to do in Isaiah 58. He broke the yoke of slavery. He set free the oppressed. He fed the hungry. He clothed the naked and he housed the homeless. And he did not stop there. He didn't just do that for us, he took it upon himself. Because when Jesus died on the cross, how did he die? Oppressed, naked, hungry, and homeless, so that you and I might have life. So if there's anyone here today or listening online and you're like, God, there has got to be more than this. I have good news, there is. The challenge is this, in order to live, we actually have to die. When we die to ourselves and live to Christ, when we lose our lives, that is when we actually find it. And you will find that when we, then you, what I will find, we all will find when we stop looking at our belly buttons and lift up our heads and face out, we will find a fulfillment we never could have found if we just lived for ourselves. May we be a church that is sacrificially on mission, joining with God, in what he is doing in our community, and our world. May we be a church that faces out. Let's, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the, the encouragement and the, the, the hope and the truth of your word. We also thank you for the challenge of your word, God. We thank you, God, that you challenge us to live lives bigger than ourselves, to live lives outside of ourselves. But not only do you challenge us and call us to do it, but you are the one who gives us the power to do it. And so we ask that you would do that today, God. We wanna be a body. We wanna be a a congregation that is not just creating great uh, programs and a great atmosphere for us to hang out with each other. We wanna be a church, God, that is involved in the kind of things that you talk about in Isaiah 58 that is involved in justice and compassion and in clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and housing the homeless. And we ask that you would give us the power to do it. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We are now uh, going to take communion. And just a few reminders. Uh, Communion, God's word makes clear is uh, reserved for those who have made Jesus Christ Lord and King of their life. So if that is not you this morning, if you would not say that Jesus Christ is Lord and King of your life, our invitation is that you pass on participating in communion with us this morning. But if it is you, there's no better time than right now to make the decision to bow your knee, figuratively or literally, and make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. We're gonna spend just a few minutes in quiet, Uh, We'll have some music playing. This is a time for you to reflect, do the business with God that you need to do before we come to the communion table. And then we'll take the elements together and then we'll sing a worship song in response. Please feel free during these quiet moments. It won't be that quiet because everyone's gonna have that cellophane going. Uh, It takes a minute to get to the elements. So please feel free during these few moments to start getting ready to take the bread. Please stand. Before we take the bread, can I just remind us that communion is a sacrament instituted by Jesus Christ Himself. And it is to be a reminder of what He did for each one of us on the cross and the hope that is found, because in His death on the cross and resurrection, he reopened the pathway to life. He reopened relationship with God that had been broken by sin. So please take the bread and hear these words. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat.
1: Nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. Hallelujah. I've tasted and seen. I've tasted and seen the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your
0: Reminder that uh, we've postponed the family gathering. We'll let you know when we reschedule that. Uh, Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved and you're prayed for and you're sent.